Oh, Bretto. What's up, MP? Damo just called. Yeah? He thinks there's going to be 100,000 people at the Wellness Summit. Oh, again? He thinks we're bigger than Michael Jackson, the Rolling Stones and the Beatles all put together. Damien Christoph has gone completely mad. Did you know he's made eight tonnes of forage? What? <laughs> and now he wants you and I to help him get rid of it. Oh, Damo. So, look, being the good friends that we are, we've asked him. You've been forced. Well, we've kind of twisted his arm to make him literally give his forage away to 100 lucky Wellness Summit attendees. So if you're ready to enrol for our signature two days of inspiration, education and empowerment and entertainment. What do you mean, MP? Australian Idol winner Wes Carr makes his Wellness Summit debut this year, Bretto. Wes Carr, you'll be guilty. So if you're ready to be entertained, head on over to thewellnesssummit.com and get four value bags of forage muesli or one bag each of paleo, muesli, bircher and porridge when you register. Now, all you need to do is register for this two-for-one special, bring a buddy, bring a friend, bring a family member or a colleague and then choose your forage selection, four muesli or four assorted and get four bags per attendee. That's eight bags per double pass. That's almost 250 bucks of forage for free when you register for the Wellness Summit on August 25-26 at the Collingwood Town Hall in Melbourne. That's 150 serves of breakfast. Almost six months of breakfast just for registering for the Wellness Summit. Well, it's first in best dressed. These 100 tickets are only available until June 18 or until sold out. All the details of this special offer, all the topics, featured speakers and more are over at thewellnesssummit.com. Thanks for making eight tons of forage, Damo. The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by Bear Blends. Bear Blends are dedicated to producing the healthiest protein powders and unique nutritional powders. They use only natural and organic whole foods and all of their products are non-GMO and free of artificial flavors, colors, and sweeteners. My personal new favorite is their vanilla and coconut plant protein. Visit bearblends.com.au to learn more and check out their gorgeous recipe info over on Instagram at bearblends. Welcome to The Real Food Reel. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast, and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini, and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning in to today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Reel. In today's episode of The Real Food Reel, we explore the basics of mitochondrial health and optimal energy. We discuss the concept of energy as a currency and how the body generates energy versus how the body spends energy. 
you will learn about the energy bucket and the most common holes or energy leaks. We explore the significance of real food, ketones, nutrient status, stress, toxins, movement and connection, and teach you how to optimize your energy so you can thrive instead of just survive. Hey team, today's episode is all about energy. Obviously, we know that we get energy from the food that we eat and hopefully after listening for the, to the Real Food Real for many years, you're all across jerf and how that does impact our energy levels. But Steph and I were actually just having a conversation off air about how unfortunately sometimes jerf just isn't enough. You know, we're very conscious of what we eat and the truth is that we don't bound out of bed every day with a 10 out of 10 on an energy scale. Um, we wish we did. Um, but if we don't, then it means that chances are you aren't either. So in today's episode, we really want to, of course, look at Jeff and look at what you can be doing from a dietary perspective, but also dig a little bit deeper and, and um, discuss what else could be impacting energy levels. Yeah, for sure. Really interesting topic, and I wanted to start from the top just to set the scene because we are talking about mitochondrial health, obviously, and it's a term that we use quite a bit here at The Natural Nutritionist, and it's because the most predominant role of mitochondria are to produce our energy currency, which is known as ATP or adenosine triphosphate. Um, Now, the Actual production of energy, or ATP, is collectively known as the citric acid cycle or Krebs cycle, which was discovered in 1937 by my very good friend, Hans Krebs. I don't actually know him. (laughs) I don't actually know him at all. But I feel like we're the best of friends because we studied this in, I think, nearly every year of my undergrad degree at least. Yeah, I feel like we're going back about a decade here to, uh, to university. Perhaps people on the, uh, on the other end are feeling the same way. Hmm. It is interesting when you look back and at the time I was like, why do I need to know about the details? But it all comes together in the end, especially when we're talking about energy because it really dials down to the function of your mitochondria. What I think is really interesting is we actually get our mitochondrial DNA from our mother. So yeah, some of it is a genetic lottery, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a lot that you can do to optimize function. So we always talk about genetics as being that blueprint and it's absolutely important, but there's so much more that we have control over to optimize the genes that we were dealt. Definitely. We always say that your genetics load the gun and the environment pulls the trigger. Yeah, absolutely. So So don't go blaming your (laughs) mum after listening to this episode if you've got poor energy levels. Maybe just a little bit, but yeah, absolutely. You've got the control, which is a really important point to remember. I think of energy as a currency though. You know, ultimately, when we look at the other end of energy, which we could define as fatigue, this occurs when your energy output is greater than your energy production. So we have to look at both ends of the spectrum. So we look at the energy output and what's perhaps causing maybe too much energy output, Mm. but we also need to look at the function, so how your energy is being produced. Fatigue, though, is a really important symptom. I don't want to talk about it in a pure negative sense because it is a big flashing light Mm. and red flag for our body. It's a really important signal that we get as a sign to rest. Mm. Otherwise, we'd work all day, we'd never sleep, 
We'd never identify potential triggers to poor energy and we, we, you know, we wouldn't be able to thrive. Mm-hmm. For me, I noticed one of my big triggers to poor energy as flying. So I have to personally put in a lot of strategies to support my energy production during long-haul flights. And so if I didn't have those triggers, if I didn't have that fatigue, I probably wouldn't be able to offset what things like international travel does to my mitochondria. So I find that really fascinating. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm actually just thinking about the amount of people that are out there who don't get enough sleep, who drink coffee and don't report any symptoms or feelings of fatigue. And I really think that's short-lived. Mm. You know, there at one, at one point in time, that lack of sleep, that lack of recovery is going to come back and bite those people in the bum. Yeah, and as you learn today, it's multifactorial. Like there's lots of different things for us to explore and ultimately, you know, it's going to be the straw that, breaks the camel's back when there is a symptom of fatigue, we can obviously avoid that by optimising all the key areas to mitochondrial health. Yeah. So you talked about energy as being a currency. Mm. What is that currency? What do we use to create energy? Yeah, really great conversation. And it's something that we talk about in different contexts on The Real Food Real. But essentially, when we look at the mitochondria and what their fuel is or what they actually use to produce energy, you know, we have the standard three choices or predominantly two, but let's go through the three. Mm -hmm. So obviously, one option is glucose. And we can definitely see that in the context of our food pyramid guidelines and our food pyramid and Mm -hmm. looking around at the metabolic crisis that we have in the developed world, um, which often comes with poor energy, and we'll get to that um, as to why in a moment. Then we've also got uh, option two would obviously be burning fat. Um, And then option three is our preferential choice which is that ideal metabolic flexibility where of course you can still burn glucose when it's required Mm. but you've got the ability to burn fat for fuel and this is very important because mitochondria take fuel from the bloodstream right they burn it in the presence of oxygen to to make energy just like an engine of a car Mm. but their preferred fuel are ketones and where do ketones come from ketones come from fat oxidation so if we're we're only burning glucose if we're sugar burners Mm. we don't have ketones so we don't have the preferred fuel of the mitochondria available so we're already going to be experiencing symptoms of fatigue whereas metabolic flexibility with that abundance of fat calories available to burn to produce ketones, our meta, our mitochondria are set up to produce maximal energy. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, they're getting what they want. So there's so many benefits of being fat adapted, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not just about achieving body fat percentage goals at all. No. So that's the energy production side of things and obviously looking at the fuel that the mitochondria use to produce that ATP. 
but there's also challenges in energy output. So, yeah, do you want to go there next? Yeah, definitely. So we talked about energy as being a currency that our mitochondria uses for energy production. So what could be happening at a mitochondrial level to downregulate that process? Yeah, for sure. So there's a few things that we've definitely got to look at deficiencies and two really common examples are coenzyme Q10 and magnesium. So I think a lot of people know about coenzyme Q10 or ubiquinol from an energy point of view, but in my experience, not so much magnesium. So the production of ATP is highly dependent on your magnesium status. And I think about this from a food source point of view, because we know in Australia, unfortunately, with modern day agricultural practices, what we're experiencing are significantly depleted soils and therefore food. So what we think is a magnesium-rich food, maybe like a a dark leafy green vegetable, no longer contains the magnesium that it would have a few years and definitely decades ago. So what we're seeing in Australia is magnesium deficiency. And I know everyone wishes it it was food first, but like we said in the intro, unfortunately, there are issues with the amount of nutrients that our food now contains. So in my opinion, magnesium is one of the most basic and beautiful supplements that can help with energy production because it directly influences your mitochondria's ability to produce that ATP. So that's a really um, important point to explore. But there's also blockages. There's also blockages to the mitochondrial function. And these are things like drugs, so definitely pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm probably going to take a little bit of a segue here, but please, if you are taking a pharmaceutical drug, please make sure you're aware of the side effects. You get a whole leaflet. If not, you can ask Dr. Google, but it's really important that you're aware of the side effects because we don't often connect the dots, yeah. which I think is a big problem. And don't rely on your GP or doctor to be aware of all of the side effects and symptoms as well. Unfortunately, the list is often huge. So yeah. They probably haven't got the time, unfortunately, to take you through you know, the 25 potentials of a pharmaceutical drug. But you know, the reality is drugs can be a big blockage to your mitochondrial function. So whilst they may be necessary in your situation, all that means is that you need to ramp up the the tools or the strategies that we're going to share with you today to offset as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, other areas we'll explore a little bit later are things like toxins and mold, but they're definitely going to downregulate your mitochondrial production. Mm-hmm. So, Steph, that was a really good overview of things at a mitochondrial level. Hopefully, after today's episode, our listeners go away and start start thinking about their cells and energy production at that level. Um, but I now want to talk about things that perhaps make it seem a little more real or are perhaps going to be a little more practical for our listeners. Um, you've got a really great analogy that you use when it comes to talking about energy um, and what it what can be impacting energy levels do you want to tell us about that analogy yeah for sure so i see our energy as a bucket and our ideal goal would be that that bucket would be full yeah. right but unfortunately in this day and age there are a few significant and very common holes to that energy bucket so as you can imagine if your bucket has holes in it there is energy leaking out So the first one, which um, wasn't something that I'd thought of um, 
in too much detail until more recently is actually an emotional hole. Mm. So did you know that the heart by weight is actually 25% mitochondria? So our emotional health is hugely important because and a hole in the emotional bucket will definitely drain us of energy. And I think we can all um, recall a past interaction like a fight with the husband or the best friend yeah, yeah. or maybe um, even sometimes I watch like a chick flick and have a big mm-hmm. cry and I feel exhausted afterwards. And, you know, it's that that exhaustion that being really emotional can actually create. Yeah, I mean, this is adding some merit to that excuse of an emotional drain. Mm, Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Mm. So, you know, we'll touch on stress a little bit later as well, which is obviously very much connected with your emotional health, Um, but it is something that we explore quite a bit on the show as well. But keep that in mind because if there's something in your life that is causing an emotional drain, it's definitely an important area to address or a hole to plug up so that you're able to retain more of your energy. Energy. Yeah. Yeah. So genetics are another one. That's another common hole in the bucket, especially that we deal with here in clinic. Um, There's lots of genetics that you can, or genetic variations that you can explore and look at, but one of the common ones is variations on the MDHFR gene, um, which is going to impact methylation. Uh, and we know that methylation is key for the production or synthesis of things like coenzyme mm-hmm. Q10, which you mentioned is a deficiency that can impact on mitochondrial function. Um, but we also know that methylation is really key for glutathione production, which is one of our key antioxidants. So coming back to what are those things that's going to impact energy production at a mitochondrial level, um, blockages, if you can't detoxify properly um, because of things like impaired methylation, then that's going to impact energy. Yeah, for sure. Because then we obviously circle back around to the drugs and the toxins and the mould. Obviously, if you're not methylating problem, uh, properly, then you're technically going to have a build-up of these substances and that's going to really affect your mitochondria. So looking mm. after your methylation is huge here yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And thirdly, but I think probably most significantly, is actually immunological holes or uh, an energy bucket that has an immunological hole that is definitely drain that bucket very quickly. Yeah, this this is a big one. Um, so we know that 80% of our immune system lies in the gut, right? So does that mean that if, if it's an immunolo- immunological hole, then really it's a gut health hole, it's gut that's impacting on energy. What do you know? Mm-hmm. We're here again. We're but yet, <laughs> I think it's really interesting because, you know, human cells have mitochondria and so to do microbial cells and they actually interact and communicate with one another. So, you know, we, we need to look at supporting our gut microbiome to, to actually directly support our mitochondria. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about the microbiome, I I like to think of it as that internal ecosystem. And very often it's the old Goldilocks scenario. So not too little and not too much. You know, I think in this space, unfortunately, we often hear terms like good and bad bacteria. And they they are terms I really try to avoid because Goldilocks would say, that it's the balance, right? It's not about wiping out one particular strain, although there are examples of that. In the larger sense, it's all about the bell curve. Yeah, yeah. 
So what I wanted to move to next when we're talking about gut health was definitely the balance between what we know as the bacteroides and the firmicutes. Okay. So what should we be looking for when it comes to the balance between these two? Or what are we seeing or what are you seeing in clinic? Yeah, unfortunately, we should be predominantly bacteroides. Like we know that they actually should be the greatest distribution of bacteria in the human microbiome. Um, and they're actually really beneficial because they downregulate oxidative stress, inflammation. Mm. Um, and they're, you know, they're also an indicator of our our overall health status and our robustness and definitely our metabolism. You know, we know that they really um, encourage fat burning. So we want to have a high ratio of bacteroides to be lean as well. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, um, we're not going to go into that in today's um, episode, but there's so much research out there around the link between um, obesity or um, carrying extra body weight and the bacteria that, that live in your gut. Yeah, hundred percent. So it's, you know, what I'm seeing is way too many people that have this overabundance of the firmicutes. And these are the anaerobes that feed on sugar. So naturally they're then quite inflammatory mm-hmm. and, um, they, yeah, they're just a big part of the problem when we see that that dysbiosis um, and that imbalance in the internal ecosystem. So coming back to energy production, you know, our goal is to create an abundance of bacteroides and these guys feed on quality animal proteins, bone broth, um, vitamin K2, which we find in our organ meats, mm. um, apple cider vinegar. So it's really important to to make sure that you include these foods so that you're working on that balance and obviously as a huge part of your gut health, which will then come right back to support the, the mitochondria and their ability to produce energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we need to get the balance right here. Um, this is just a little silly side note, but when I've, when I've got sugar cravings, I always think, oh, my God, that's my Femicutes talking to me. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. They do. They, they, there's obviously a few other examples of bacteria that can contribute to cravings, but I mean, it's important to recognize that definitely there's a blood sugar control, um, impact here, but a lot of what we crave comes back to the bacteria in our gut, which most people don't realize and they, they get into, but it actually can be addressed by creating that beautiful internal ecosystem. Yeah, but that's important for our listeners to be aware of because, um, yes, those sugar cravings, those cravings for carbohydrate-rich foods are a sign of poor blood sugar control, but also have a think about the fact that that does, to some degree, signify what bacteria is is taking place in your gut and, and perhaps what your levels of balance are like if you haven't yet done testing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then we're also looking at the balance between um, the anaerobes that we just discussed and the aerobic bacteria. So one example that we're also seeing in the clinic is parasites. So with a parasitic overgrowth, what we're seeing often is really, really low levels of some of the beneficial bacteria, including E. coli, and that creates a whole host of problems. Yeah, well, we know E. coli is 
is also essential for the production of coenzyme Q10. So that's going to be one of the reasons why low E. coli leads to low energy levels. Yeah, and I am seeing that so, so much. And it's really good to think of it this way because it's actually quite a simple chain to connect. Like, so E. coli produces coenzyme Q10 and CoQ10 goes straight into that Krebs cycle to produce ATP. Mm. So if you've got low E. coli, one of the huge red flags or light bulbs will be low energy and it's Mm. got to be addressed. Yeah. And low E. coli is also associated with poor quality sleep, isn't it? Mm. So if you've got low E. coli, you're not sleeping well, then that will be another contributing factor to low energy. 100%. And we'll talk about sleep in a little bit more detail shortly but it is like 101. And I think, you know, we're probably starting to realise that more so in 2018, whereas I personally used to be like a sleep when you're dead kind of person and I definitely regret that from my 20s, whereas now I'm absolutely the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, gut health is huge um, and it definitely needs to be the foundation of energy production, but I hope that's given a slightly different context for how it definitely Um, comes back around to mitochondrial health. Yeah, I think so. So what's next? We haven't talked really about food yet. Yeah, so obviously just eat real food is a huge goal. And, you know, for context, there's obviously so many reasons why we want to nourish our body with beautiful whole food. But really, the food that we eat controls the level of oxidative stress in the body. So if we're, you know, managing our carbohydrate load and eating refined sugar-free, then we're removing oxidative stress. And this is so huge because that inflammation caused by oxidative stress is going to be a huge hole in the energy bucket. And what we discussed earlier, we know that mitochondria thrive on ketones. So when you're refined sugar-free and managing your carbohydrate load, You're teaching your body to burn fat, producing ketones and providing that number one fuel. It's like a diesel fuel, right, for the mitochondria to produce ATP. So I'm sure you guys are all familiar with our model of GERF, which is lower carbohydrate, higher fat. And this is a big reason why. It's about your metabolism and that optimal fuel for your mitochondria. Mm -hmm. You've also got to think about what else could be contributing to oxidative stress. Mm. So we know that refined sugar diets, high-carbohydrate diets, they're going to contribute to that. Um, But also looking at the oils that you consume. You know, when we talk about LCHF, you can also look at the acronym as being lower carbohydrate healthy fats. Um, But I do want to highlight that notion of healthy fats because um, that balance of omega-3 to omega-6 fats is something that we really have to be conscious of because when it's not when it's not right, that's going to contribute to inflammation. So, you know, we should be aiming for a ratio of around about one to one in terms of omega-3 to omega-6 fats. But, um, Steph, did you know that in the Western world we're seeing ratios of as much as or as high as 1 to 25? So that's just, you know, going absolutely in the wrong direction. Um, so you can have a think about what your ratios look like, but you're definitely going to have a huge impact on your omega-3 to omega-6 ratio if you start 
to avoid things like the processed seed oils, um, if you prioritise grain-fed meats over grass-fed meats. Sorry, wrong way around. <laughs> prioritise grass-fed meats over grain-fed meats um, and also avoid, avoid consumption of things like trans fats. Yeah, for sure. I mean, omega-6s are still very important because they're even found in things like, you know, avocados and, and nuts and seeds, mm. but it is always about that ratio. So obviously minimising any poor quality fats makes a huge difference. And, you know, I think definitely throughout the low-fat era there was a huge popularity with things like canola and safflower and corn oil and we don't see too much of that in Australia these days, but I think it's a really important point because there are still people that have canola oil in the pantry when it belongs in the bin. Definitely, but also um, if you're eating out a lot, if you're mm. eating a lot of processed and packaged foods, then that's where those oils are going to start to creep in. So that's why you know that, that simple notion of just avoiding foods that come from a packet can, can really help with reducing inflammation and oxidative stress. Yeah, for sure. And like thinking about carbohydrates again, and especially when we talk about refined carbohydrates, you know, we talk about the carbohydrate coma. Yeah, you have a big meal of carbs and you need to curl up into the fetal position and, you know, essentially have a nap. And definitely a lot of that has to do with the digestive cost of a, a large carbohydrate dense meal. We know that your body is diverting energy to digest and there's not a lot available for your brain. But we also know that when you're eating those refined carbohydrates, it's a drain in the bucket, right? Because it, it, it's your body having to mop up all those free radicals and down-regulate that oxidative stress. And often your mitochondria just can't keep up with the energy requirements. Mm, yeah. Yeah, so it's tenfold probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, we could probably spend spend the whole episode talking mm. about, about GERF and oxidative stress, but we said we wouldn't do that today. Um, should we move on? Should we look at stress? Yeah, for sure. Stress in general. Yeah, and I wanted to talk about stress. Obviously, we, we can't not because it's hugely significant, especially in 2018. But, you know, what I didn't want to do is is talk about it in the same context, like how we usually do on the show. Mm. Um, I do want to briefly touch on the importance of the breath, though, because we know that when you're in that, stressful situation you're obviously going to be minimizing your oxygen capacity by breathing only into your chest right so when you're stressed and that and then therefore only breathing into your chest you don't have the amount of oxygen to actually go into the atp cycle and end up producing energy go into the krebs cycle part of me and end up producing atp so what a really, really good practice to develop is that belly breathing or that diaphragmatic breathing. And, you know, it pulls you out of that fight or flight, which has so many benefits, but it also means that you've got more oxygen available, right? And that's essential for you to feel energised. Mm. I bet you $100 everybody out there listening right now is, has just taken four really deep breaths. I hope so because I need to remind <laughs> myself most hours of the day. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's interesting. The minute you become conscious of shallow breath versus mm. deep breath, you, you do pick yourself up um, mm. or sort of pick up on yourself during the day and, and um, 
and consciously take some deep breaths. It's a big one. It's a big one that's often neglected when it comes to stress. And like I said before, I, you know, stress is healthy, just like fatigue is as a signal to your body. Um, but you've got to have, you know, skills to get those scales back in balance. Mm. Yeah. So we're not just talking about psychological stress. What other sorts of stresses are we talking about that can drain our energy bucket? Poor sleep would be, I think, you know, the number one, really. It's hard to, um, it's hard not to acknowledge the significance of quality sleep. And, you know, like you said earlier, it's pretty obvious, right? If you're not sleeping properly, you're not going to be producing enough energy. So that has a huge flow-on effect as well because I can guarantee you you're not going to be craving broccoli. You're going to want refined carbohydrates or sugar to give you that immediate energy. So that's a big problem. Um, But, you know, having a really, really quality sleep practice is huge. So hopefully you've already started to make some changes from things that you've learned on the show. But I think, you know, We've got to look at our environment, so making sure it's Goldilocks in the room, so not too cold and not too dark. We've got to make, sorry, not too cold and not too warm. We've got to make sure it's also really dark was where I was going with that. So blackout curtains are really helpful. Um, Minimising your exposure to technology and, and even the Wi-Fi can impact some people. Obviously avoiding caffeine and too much, many other stimulants um in the afternoon and gosh the list goes on really yeah Mm. i mean look i would go as far as saying if that if you're starting to look at your diet and your dietary habits for the first time um because of poor energy levels but you've not done anything to address your quality of sleep Mm. then it's almost pointless looking at your diet they have to like we have to look at them in in um in conjunction with one another. Totally. And I p- completely appreciate that these aren't particularly sexy suggestions. Mm-hmm. Like they're pretty foundational. But as I always say, like you don't build a house starting with the roof, right? So you've got to look at getting all of those foundations in place. And sleep is huge. So if the one thing you take away from today is to look at your sleep hygiene and start to make some changes, like why don't you just start by getting your phone out of the room and having it on charge in the lounge room or kitchen, that would make a huge difference in itself. Yeah. Or set yourself a rule. No Facebook, no Instagram, no social media for an hour before bed. Mm. That's a good little challenge. Social media detox, Mm. absolutely. Yeah. What about toxins? Yeah. What do they have? Yeah, definitely. So as we spoke briefly um, before, toxins, um, and I'll probably put mould in that bucket as well, that they create a big blockage to your mitochondrial production. So toxins are something we've spoken about before, but just to recap, you know, we've got to acknowledge the number of toxins that we even breathe in the air that we're exposed to in 2018. There's toxins on our food. There's toxins in any pharmaceutical drugs that we're consuming. There's toxins in our shampoo, our moisturiser, our toothpaste, our makeup bag, you know, really there, there's toxins in the lid of your takeaway coffee cup, you know, they're everywhere. Mm. And I don't think that it's possible to strive for no tox, but I love the low tox mantra of looking at what are the things that you are exposed to or, or put on your skin every day that you can start to swap for a non-tox brand to start to remove the toxins or reduce the toxins from your life and get those mitochondria firing again. Yeah. 
Yeah, it doesn't have to be done all at once. It's not mm. like you have to go and completely, you know, clean out your bathroom cupboard, clean out your kitchen cupboard, stop using plastic coffee cups altogether. Mm. You can do things in sort of, um, or you can take a step-by-step approach to this. You know, one of the things I often talk to my, my clients about is, one, looking at what they use the most, like you just mentioned, so looking at things like your moisturisers, um, but also look at looking at replacing things one by one. So if you've run out of your, um, your, let's not use any brand names, but let's say you've run out of your number one toilet cleaner, then then look at replacing that. So you don't have to sort of replace your whole house and um, laundry cupboard all at once. Yeah, we definitely don't want these to be overwhelming suggestions. I think step change is beautiful for any major change that we make in our life because, you know, what's sustainable and achievable is what's most important. Um, and, yeah, if, it's, if you're looking for somewhere to start, then my advice is what do you use the most? So your skin is the largest organ. So it's going to be a moisturiser or a face cream or something along those lines that you could definitely um, start with. And the site that I always direct my clients to is nourishedlife.com.au. Mm. Um, I have no affiliation with them. I just love that um, Irene, whose um, business that is, has done all the research for us. And if it's not sold there, you can guarantee that it's not one of the best non-tox brand so you can just do your research there and of course buy it wherever you like but it's a great way or great avenue for you to work out what products um, you can be using that are toxin free so that you don't have that impact on your mitochondria it's a pretty incredible website isn't it like mm. you can pretty much get everything that you need from there yeah go low tox yeah definitely like deodorants i've got my whole makeup bag from there these days yeah there's there's so many areas you can look at um but again like one by one and and look at you know even from what we've covered so far today what you think so far is um probably the most influential factor would be where you start so it might not even be toxins mm, yeah, yeah exactly um it could be looking at things like magnesium that we talked about Absolutely. earlier yeah 100 percent. but i wanted to talk about mold a little bit more because it's not something we've covered on the show in great detail and it's been in my mind a bit lately, um, partly because I think, well, uh, one of my friends actually, yeah. this is a crazy story, but she moved into this new rental and um, actually you have someone that this happened to Ellie that we, anyway, I'll get on with my story. <laughs> There's a girl I know who moved into this rental and over about four months started to get really, really sick and then, this mould was just coming out from behind the paint, like everywhere in the mm. apartment. I get itchy as I tell the story. Um, and long story short, they um, had to like approach the real estate company and they like they had to move out, right? That There was literally mould everywhere. It started growing on the furniture. Mm. Um, her health was declining quite rapidly. So they, I don't know the finer detail, but they moved out. But like, the very next month, they'd painted over the top and got new tenants in. Mm. I just think that's insane. I know it's like obviously it's a so huge long. job to get rid of, but what it made me think about was how many of us are living in houses that have mouldy areas that we don't see anymore because we look at it every day and we've always lived there, mm. or it's been painted over and we can't yet see it, but the spores are growing and our mitochondria are suffering and our health is slowly, slowly, slowing slowly declining 
but you know, it's not something that we can connect the dots on. Mm. So it's a question that I ask most of my clients and that's, you know, I, I get them to end this sentence. I've never been the same since. So it's not even a question. It's a statement. Yeah. <laughs> I have never been the same since. So if it's, I've never been the same since I moved into this current house, yeah. then for me, that's a massive red flag. Yeah, that there's, that there's mould there. Would you also say that if there's multiple people living in the one dwelling with similar symptoms mm. or a peak in symptoms, mm. then that's a sign yeah. of potentially mould build-up in a dwelling? A hundred percent. It's not going to be a coincidence if you start talking to your neighbour and they're experiencing the same kind of symptoms, even if it is just like really, you know, a sudden onset of an increase in immune challenges, for an example. Like, I think that's a really important issue. Um, there are people called building biologists and they can come out and do a full inspection of your house. So if there are some light bulbs going off for you around the topic of mould, jump onto Dr Google and find a building biologist in your area um, and I think it's definitely something to investigate further. Yeah, you've definitely got me thinking and you've just reminded me of who that person was that yeah. you about earlier. Yeah, yeah, it's a tragic situation because it gets over everything, like even your clothing. So for some people, they literally have to just basically burn everything and start again and mm-hmm. talk about stress, like that would be a big um, stressor to, to manage. And um, unfortunately in rental properties, it's not their number one priority. No, definitely not, mm. definitely not. Is there anything else in the stress management piece that you wanted to talk on? A couple of brief things. Um, I thought the the stressor of a low vitamin D status was quite important to talk about, yeah, especially in Australia. Yeah, just recently on the show we obviously spoke about um, a particular vitamin D supplement, but mm-hmm. we also covered the problem with the over-prescription of slip, slop, slap in Australia and how, of course, we want to be minimising our exposure to UV to avoid skin damage and the associated problems, but we need the sun to get adequate vitamin D. And low vitamin D is definitely going to be a big hole in that energy bucket. So unfortunately in Australia, it's one of the tests that have been taken off the Medicare um, rebate list. So it's not going to be something that's necessarily screened by your GP at your annual test or even the next time you go in for your appointment. So please write it on your list now. Maybe jot it down on your smartphone if um, you're on the beach having a nice walk, which I hope you are. Mm. Um, Jot it down in your smartphone to ask for your vitamin D levels at your next blood test and definitely look to um, gently increase your sun exposure. You only need a couple of minutes between the hours of 10 and 3 p.m., but you may or may not need to look at supplementation as well. Yeah, and if you didn't listen to that episode where Steph and I were talking about vitamin D supplementation, um, then please don't go out now, especially if you live in little old Melbourne or even somewhere like Tasmania, please don't go out and buy a vitamin D supplement because you just assume that you're going to be low in vitamin D. Please go to your doctor, request that test and have a look at what your levels are like before you start supplementing. Yeah, it's all relative, right? How much you need actually depends on your levels, of course. So it's important to get that data. So we test, don't guess. Always, always, always. (laughs) Um, And lastly, but very importantly, is clean water. There's lots of um, challenges around the water that we have in Australia. um, And I think filtered water is a really important goal. I know it might not be always the most 
practical suggestion, but what we've done at home, like I'm, I'm still in a rental, um, we've just bought a little countertop setup mm. that attaches onto the tap that filters the water. It costs 200 bucks and it's something I'll take with me when I eventually buy a house and, and I'll probably set up something more permanently under the sink when that day comes. But, you know, there are lots of strategies that you can um, implement around making sure you're getting really great quality water. And I don't think it's something that we can avoid. For a lot of people who are listening, maybe it's the last piece of the puzzle. For such a small change, it's going to 10x your health and your your longevity. Um, and maybe it's something you've been avoiding up until now, but it is a big piece of the jerf you know, package in my opinion. Mm, yeah, possibly. But I love that idea of getting a countertop solution or looking at installing something on your tap rather than becoming really reliant on bottled water from the supermarket. Mm, yes, let's avoid plastic bottled water if we can. Please, people, <laughs> like not just from the, the, I guess, the toxins we're exposed to mm, from the bottles, exactly. but you just think about those bottles and where they end up after you're finished with them. Yeah, for sure. Mm. So should we move on from stress? Yeah, definitely. I wanted to jump back and just acknowledge the significance of magnesium again. Remember we discussed that the production of ATP is highly dependent on your magnesium status. But magnesium also makes your existing mitochondria more efficient and it helps to repair mitochondrial damage. So let's just recap that again. (laughs) We're talking about the production of ATP plus the efficiency of your existing mitochondria and the repairing of any damage that's caused by, you know, all the things that we've been discussing today. So it's pretty crucial. Pretty crucial. And, you know, I'd love for us to all get enough magnesium from our food, but we just don't. So if you are going to um, think about supplementation, definitely go down the practitioner-only route Um, book an appointment with us here at the Natural Nutritionist and we can help you with exactly what you need. Um, But it is, as I touched on earlier, pretty much something that everybody should be starting to add to their jerk template. Mm, Yeah. And don't be surprised if you do just, um, if you do get a poor quality magnesium supplement off the shelf at the chemist and don't notice any changes. Mm. Um, That's why Steph did just say, look for a practitioner only um, supplement so you know you're getting good quality. Yeah, for sure. It's, you know, we definitely want to avoid things like magnesium oxide, which are used in those really offensive shelf laxative powders. Mm -hmm. Um, We're looking usually for a combination of a glycinate or a chalate. And often you'll see products that do have both. And that's really important for maximal absorption without the negative digestive effects because magnesium in excess will be a laxative. So that's also something to mention that if you do experiment with supplementation, um, if you're running to the loo, you've definitely taken too much. So you want to scale your dosage back um, and you'll know when you hit that sweet spot when you've got your normal Bristol stool and, you know, your bowel movements are back to normal. Yeah. 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 Okay. So high-intensity interval training, that's another thing that you mentioned off-air that can support um, energy production. Yeah, I think we're all across the benefits of exercise in general and especially cardiovascular exercise, right? We know about cardiovascular exercise for, for 
oxygen capacity, which obviously then directly correlates to your mitochondrial function. But high-intensity exercise is obviously anaerobic, and that's the opposite end of the energy spectrum. There's so much research on the benefits of high-intensity exercise that even one session can result in the production of new mitochondria. So we're not talking about the improved function. We're actually talking about the biogenesis. So it's a great way for you, your body, to produce more mitochondria. So how that actually happens is your body needs a stressor. And there's um, a a protein called AMPK or AMP-activated protein kinase, and that's a stressor. So pardon me, exercise is the stressor for the AMPK to produce more mitochondria. So the great thing about high-intensity exercise is that it doesn't need to be long, steady state and long duration either. No. So no excuses, people out there listening. You can, you can fit your HIIT training session in. You can contribute to growing your mitochondria levels. Um, I mean, something is a 15-minute session. Yeah, definitely. The duration can be really short, but it's obviously got to be interval in nature. Mm -hmm. So a really common protocol is the Tabata protocol, which is 20 seconds on, 10 seconds rest for a total of four minutes. Um, And the research is pretty clear that even that is enough, which is pretty crazy to believe, but I'm I'm liking the sound of that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sold. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Might be my new lunch break routine down here at the Natural Nutrition Lab. <laughs> <laughs> why, have been, why have I been training for marathons all these years mm. when I can go out and do five minutes Well, you need both right. Yeah, I don't think your, your HIT or your, uh, I don't think your high-intensity training is going to do much for your um, your goals in terms of that adaptation and even like your long-term cardiovascular goals, right? We need that, that beautiful combination of both. <laughs> balance is key yeah but i think that's really fascinating i I love the idea that um you know that it can be as simple as something like a a high intensity interval session but the irony is like we're talking about energy right and if you're low on energy i bet you're thinking well the last thing i feel like doing is a high intensity interval session this may or may not be something you do straight away but definitely keep it in your toolkit Mm. because obviously we've given you so many strategies that are going to be improving your energy already that if you're not feeling like high intensity exercise yet you will be very soon yeah definitely Mm. and there are a few other little um i guess strategies that people can keep in their toolkit aren't there Mm. a few other sort of quick quick fixes, so to speak, that people can look to. Yeah, definitely. Like there's even um, a really amazing cold water strategy that you can use. So Amazing, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm going to do that right away. <laughs> Not so much. Look, I can't, I can't say I've done it recently considering <laughs> we're in this like Arctic winter all of a sudden here in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. But you, there's plenty of amazing research on the benefits of a 10-second cold blast after a warm shower. So I think, you know, the benefits of um, cold water therapy were probably made super famous a couple of years ago by Wim Hof, mm-hmm. but the research around even just that that 10 seconds is is going to definitely be enough to help your mitochondrial function. So something you'll have to work yourself up to um, maybe as the weather changes, but I know we have lots of Queensland listeners and they're hardly experiencing winter, so maybe you guys can jump in there and let us know how you go. 10-second blast at the end of your shower um, and let me know how you feel. (laughs) (laughs) But the last topic I wanted to talk about in probably a little bit more detail 
was the topic of connection. Yeah, this is a really interesting one, Steph. Yeah, I think so too. Like I've been doing a little bit more research on longevity and one of the the most interesting pieces of research was when I came across the benefits of community for longevity. You know, when we talk about longevity, we're often talking about, you know, avoiding chronic disease and, and downloading inflammation and obviously looking after our, our brain health. And, and don't get me wrong, this is all important, but we won't thrive and live a healthy life into our older years without a beautiful um, community and thriving relationships. And did you know that this can actually increase your mitochondria? I mean, I always knew that there was a lot to be said for having a community of people around you and, um, you know, there's a lot to be said for old people who perhaps come widows and then live on their own Mm -hmm. and their health status versus the elderly who perhaps live in a nursing home and have a community of people around them. But I, I admit I hadn't really brought it back down to a mitochondrial level. Yeah, and neither had I until recently. And I'm just thinking right now what the mechanism might be and um, I'm not actually 100% sure, so that's probably something I'll, I'll research a little bit more. But, I mean, the main thing is to be aware of the importance of connection. And I think this is even more relative or relevant, I should say, in 2018 because, you know, we've obviously got a huge influence of, of technology, the internet, um, and social media. And what we're doing as humans is we're seeking connection, but we're actually feeling more disconnected than ever because we spend our days with our head in our iPhone comparing our life to someone's highlight reel on social media and we're seeing these rates of, of, of depression and you know eating disorders and these tragic conditions that are now being proven to come back to high uses of social media and being addicted to to technology. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think there was a period for which social media played a really lovely role in Mm. terms of building communities, um, connecting like-minded people and helping people to feel part of a tribe. But it's definitely starting to go the other way now um, where people look to things like Instagram, like you said, and, um, and really put the people that they follow up on a pedestal or assume that what's being posted is the norm and is the day-to-day when it's actually not reality. A hundred percent. And there's apps like Facetune when people are smoothing out their wrinkles and shrinking in their waistline. It's not even Mm. what they look like in real life. And, you know, like we said before about, you know, if we circle back around to the sleep hygiene conversation we're having, uh, like doing that social media detox before bed is very helpful, but so is a social media detox like, you know, once a month or even once a fortnight. Not that I can say I've done that recently. The last time I had a social media detox was on my honeymoon in January, but maybe you haven't had one for years. And I think that's something that we can really explore because the other side is, yes, it's going to help get out and catch up with a friend, you know, organize to go for a walk. And if you do it in nature, if you get off your phone and get out in nature, then you're also going to be supporting your mitochondria producing more energy, breathing in fresh air, like the, the, it just continues in this beautiful positive cycle. Mm. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're on a treadmill. <laughs> we love you on your iPhones <laughs> tuning in. Yeah, yeah we, we do love you, but um, I challenge you to tomorrow, um, instead of jumping on the treadmill, go out, brave the weather, especially if you're in Victoria, and, and get outside, be amongst the, the grass and leaves and the environment. 
Yeah, I totally agree. So you can do your social media talks between Thursday when you listen to the show and next Thursday when the next episode is released. We want you to be tuning in on your phone. So there's obviously a bit Goldilocks there as well. <laughs> it's it's that bell curve. Um, but, yeah, focus on connections. Like I've been... Um, thinking about my social circle and, and how I could add people of value to my to my life. And I think that's a, a really great um, goal to create more connections and to really work on your relationships. And, you know, you'll have those with you for life, hopefully, and that will, you know, not only increase your mitochondria, but it'll extend your longevity. Yeah. I mean, those of you listening today, I'm sure you weren't thinking that by the end of this episode, you'd want to go and give your mum a call or give your best friend a call, mm. but do, because it's so important that we nurture the relationships that we have. Mum, I'll call you on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully she's listening. <laughs> yeah. Really interesting um, topic of conversation. One that I didn't even think that we would get into today. So you can mm. always rely on you, Steph, for, um, for throwing things like that in, but really, really usefully and, um, and interesting. I'm so glad. I've loved this topic and hopefully um, we've given you food thought and beyond, but I just think it'd be great to just recap our, our top seven, really. So we spoke about looking at your gut health. Obviously, it's all about real food. There's a huge influence on stress management. We want you to be aware of your magnesium status. I would love you to try some high-intensity interval training. It would be amazing if anyone gets in and tries that cold shower. Let us know um, if you do, please. Therapy and then connection. Get out there, create a beautiful community, and you will be thriving. And obviously, at the end of the day, you'll be supporting your mitochondrial health and hopefully you will be a 10 out of 10 on the energy scale. Fingers crossed. This year, the Wellness Summit returns. I realised in this time that I couldn't keep waiting for love from other people. I couldn't keep expecting love from other sources. But I had to give that to myself. Yanni says, I don't care if everyone says that the kitchen is the woman's world. He says, I'm going to prepare food. I love my own cheese. I love my own wine. I don't care what you think of my new flat screen TV. He just loves company. I started asking myself more often, what do I want? Such a simple question, isn't it? But when you think that, and I'm sure all of you sitting there, when you think that, something springs into your mind. And there's something there that you want that you haven't been doing for yourself. Brett Hill and Marcus Pierce feature at the 2018 Wellness Summit. Bigger and better than ever. Tickets on sale Friday, May 4 at thewellnesssummit.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.